Open your boxes. Open your boxes. One, two, three. This is the voice of reason. 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 I'm Baby Oprah. Voice of reason. Reason. Voice of reason. What are y'all doing out here tonight? All right, guys. We are here for another episode of The Voice of Reason, and I'm your host, Baby Oprah. Now, per usually usually per usual i have a special guest here with me today and i'm gonna have her introduce herself by her name is siobhan anderson and uh, siobhan is joining us here today i want you to introduce yourself say hello to the team hi everybody my name is siobhan anderson Siobhan is actually here which i'm extremely excited that you're here today because we're about to touch on something that is Something I'm really not educated on, but passionate about, and that is the new the Newark Board of Education, mm-hmm. which Siobhan is actually running for the board this yes. year. Mm-hmm. When is when is voting? I think April sixteenth. Yep. And where can April everyone 16th, go vote? Eight days. Um, so any you can if you live in Newark, uh, you go where you're registered to vote. So wherever you uh, went in your last election, wherever you voted in your last election, mm-hmm. you go there. Yeah, okay, that's where you go. Yep. So I, you know, I got a chance to really get to know you and look uh, look you up, and I know that you are actually a mother of ten. Yes. And honey, <laughs> you do not look like you don't even look like you got one. Okay. <laughs> so I want to know your secret because I got one baby and I'm trying. Yep. I'm still trying to melt this weight off. You I look think, great. I think maybe it's a little jean. Oh, oh yeah. So I can't, the I women can't, in my family no... look, you know, pretty good. Pretty good pretty <laughs> you good. look great, Thank and you. I know that you're from the city of Newark. Yes, I am. Born you and also raised. put all ten of your kids through yes, Newark Public, Newark Public schools. schools. Absolutely. So tell me, what? Why are you so passionate, or what made you even want to run for board? So, I think that. Um, what made me so passionate about being on the board. So I thought about it a few years back, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my children were still young, a little younger, and I was like, no, not, you know, not now. You know, it's kind of like it was an idea that came came in my mind, went out of my mind. Um, So recently I was like, oh, this is like, you ever had like, like, it's my time. Mm -hmm. Like now, like now's a good time. It's it's not really a, a, a reason. It's just like, I just feel like, you know, now is my time. Um, I'm really passionate. I've always been very passionate about education um, when it came to my children, especially because um, growing up, um, you know, I was really smart. I was a smart, you know, smart student. I was an honor student. Um, and, you know, went to gifted and talented programs, but I had so much trauma mm-hmm. at home and that it, it, it kept me from being able to learn. And so um, it wasn't that education wasn't important to me. It's just that I couldn't prioritize my education at that point because mm-hmm. it was just, you know, so much going on. So, of course, when I became a parent, my number one thing was to make sure that my my children didn't have that story mm-hmm. and that they didn't have traumas and that they didn't, that the best, of, you know, to the best of my ability, that they wouldn't have any traumas that would um, keep them from being able to succeed in school. And so that's what I've always been fighting for, you know, even in the home, just making sure that, you know, how I treated them, how I talked to them, how, you know, you know, just everything, just building them up, you know, and instead of, you know, tearing them down, which was, you know, some things that were done to me. So I've just been really passionate about my kids, their education. And I mean, uh, my daughter, my second daughter was the first one to walk across the state of my children, to walk across the stage in that moment 
when I just think about how I felt to see her, you know, get her uh, her high school diploma just to walk across that stage and now be an honor student in her third year of college. You yes. know, that's so amazing to me. Yes. So amazing to me. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm yeah. so glad that you touched on that specifically the trauma because, you know, we always say with children start at home, but anybody that's a somebody from Newark understand that the environment that we live in alone, outside of what goes on inside your actual house, is very traumatic. And, you know, we hear a lot of people say, you know, well, for me, it's like I just have my daughter and a lot of other mothers I talk to always preach about, I got to get my baby's not going to Mm -hmm. school here. And I think about me, I'm a college grad. I am a a product of public school in Essex County. I actually grew up in East Orange, but East Orange, Newark, we were were very close. So we kind of experienced a lot of the similar things. But I went on to college to be very successful. And I do owe that a lot to public school in our area. But... As we get older and we see what's going on, I mean, we know the young lady, Jayla, rest in peace, who yes. just lost her life. But yes. these are kids experiencing death yes. on a daily yes. basis. Yes. You know, I only remember, I could only remember one friend that I lost in high school. And that traumatized me for the right. rest of my life. Right. And we see these babies dropping literally right. every single day at the hands of gun violence. So how do you feel like, or what do you feel like you want to implement in regards to the public school system and how they can kind of lighten this load on our kids so definitely um when i was in school i felt like no one saw me Mm. no teacher not a administrator principal no one could look at me and say something's going on with her um so i think that we have to make it where these teachers have training in these types of things it's like that they can recognize when Susie comes in and Mm -hmm. something's going on with her, whether it's Susie didn't eat today, whether it's, you know, and this is something that I live every day. I see the the children in my community where I live, you know, and I'm like, how do these kids go to school every day and nobody picks up on this and nobody picks up on um, that something is going on. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we have to get to a place where Anybody who is a support for that child in school, our children are in school most of the time. Mm -hmm. Our children spend a lot of hours in school. And so for that to be a place where they spend most most of their day, Mm -hmm. somebody has to be able to recognize, okay, this is going on, and what can we do to ensure that this child is able to come to school and learn? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it goes back to the family. So if somebody would just knock on a door and see what was going on. A lot of times it could just be a case of, and I know this uh, example, a a real life example of someone that I know, her daughter missed 102 days out of school. But on day 102, that's when someone was finally called. And I was there when when it happened. And it was just a case of the mother's going through a lot. The mother needs some type of assistance. So we have to be able to partner with programs with programs that are outside of the school as well. So if you can't offer it in school, then we need to be able to form some type of partnerships with people outside of the school and have them come in and help. Because we have, what, one guidance counselor sometimes to 300 students. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who told me yesterday, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a one guidance counselor to 300, and 300 I forgot, 350-something students. That, that one guidance counselor can't do it. Not realistically. So if we talk, if we go back to that, our schools being our villages, our, just having that village mentality, it's everybody's responsibility to take care of these children. 
they're when they're in school, they're they're supposed to be our your children. Absolutely. Yes. And yes. you just reminded me. I don't know his name. The uh, principal for Westside High. Anybody know his name in here? Akbar. <laughs> Or what's Cook. the Muhammad back? Oh, Akbar Cook. Cook. Okay, yes. Principal yes. Cook. I want to yes. give him a shout out yes. because we know we all saw him on the Ellen DeGeneres yes. show. Absolutely. Um, and he actually, what you just mentioned was seeing kids coming to school and just acknowledging some of the trauma that yes. they're dealing dealing with. And yes. I know one of the things he implemented at Westside was um, the laundromat. Yes. Making sure kids yes. have clean clothes. Yes. That's so important yes. because we know kids get teased on a daily basis. And it's something that clearly is an issue at home. But yes. for him to take the initiative to implement something at school to help, you know, lift that burden on a child, that's important. He also started the Lights On. Lights, for, uh, lights West, On, yeah. Yeah, Lights yeah. On for Westside where the kids could come on a Friday night and spend late night hours at the school rather than being on the streets and being exposed to all of the violence. Right. So I want to know, does the board, I'm not sure how he's able to fund all of that. We did see on Ellen DeGeneres' show, she gave him a, a huge check, but is this something that the Board of Education is willing to create a budget for? So I think that as far as the budget, I think that once I'm on the board, God willing, I think it's just a matter of seeing where the money is going, right, and how we can better use those funds to be able to help our children. Um, I think that we have to make sure that those funds are going to the classroom, that, that, the, that more funds are going to the classroom, that more funds are going towards teachers being able to support, you know, support the students. I'm not really sure um, about how to get, you know, how we would get them, not that saying that we can't do that, mm -hmm. but I just want, you know, to see, like I said, once I'm there, how do we allocate funds to things that, that the children really need? I think it would just be a matter of looking at the budget. Where's this money going? And does this money really need to go here? And how can we take this money and use it there? You know, so I think that I think that's what we would have to, you know, I think it's just like evaluating, like, okay, what, what, what is happening with this money and how can we better use it right, to, to help I our children? Right, it's so important. We always discuss, like, you know, the discrepancies in public school education, specifically in the city of Newark, but what we don't realize is the, the biggest downfall is socially, not like, you know, the education is not that they're not smart Absolutely. enough. A lot of these kids don't get the opportunity to even realize their potential right. because of tackling all the social Things that Definitely. we have, they have to experience on a daily basis. Absolutely. So I do feel like specifically fire environment, the social aspect and, you know, those so like, you know, just paying attention to the things they may be going on to home and implementing programs that can help them with that right. will help tackle yes. the education, yes. e educational aspect. But I also wanted to touch on, I noticed that special needs is something that's also like big for you. And... I, with my experience, and a, a lot of people, I don't know if this is a myth or not, maybe you can educate me, but what it seems as though is that because there's a large ratio to teacher, there's like 30 students to one teacher, once a teacher notices that they have this one student who's like a little, uh, I guess maybe just challenging, rather than taking the time to really just curve the lessons to their learning ability, they just put them into special education. So oftentimes we have a lot of, specifically black boys who are put into this special education classroom and experience and ultimately that may not be their case like they may not be a special needs person i think that um i think that overall there's like this stigma with ieps right mm -hmm. um everybody kind of has like an issue with you know not an issue but people feel 
you know, when you classify a child, that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's not a bad thing. Um, does every child need to be classified? No. Um, but I believe that it it's an individual educational plan. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that you're an individual. We know that you learn different. You, 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 you're different than other, all children are, they're individuals. Mm -hmm. So if there's a issue that you need to, you need to have services, then we need to make sure that those services are in place. And again, it goes back to, so let me say this. Sometimes you have children and so, okay, so let me use my, my child, my son as an example. Mm -hmm. My child was a very active child. He did a lot, you know, and he was labeled emotionally disturbed. Now, me as his mother, I knew that was not the case. Mm-hmm. I knew my son was not emotionally disturbed. So I had to educate myself, and this is where it goes back to parents being educated and knowing, right, the things that they need to know and so that when you do come to the table that these people who's ever at the table with you can't tell you because you've already done your own research. Mm-hmm. And so I did my research, and I found out that my son, he was not emotionally disturbed he had another uh, diagnosis. And when I came to the table, I brought that information to the table and I was able to get his diagnosis changed. And so- uh, I, yes, I just yes, wanna yes, touch yes. on that because I actually have a, a personal experience with that with my sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, you know, my, both my parents are from uh, immigrants, so from West Africa. Mm-hmm. So they really, you know, didn't speak English well. We're first generation American. So a lot of things they weren't really capable of being completely educated on. But I do recall, like, my older sister, she had, uh, they tried to diagnose her with, like, a personality disorder. And that's because she would, like, fight a lot. And this is, I'm talking, like, kindergarten. Mm -hmm. But that's because she was teased Mm -hmm. and she was more reserved. And, you know, sometimes, you know, kids find their own comfort in their own way. So they tried to put her, classify her. And my mom actually fought against it and took her out of that public school, put her into another one. And she turned out to be an honor student, graduated uh, with uh, high honors in high school. But then my mom... Before my mom, uh, you know, my sister, my older sister graduated, my younger sister, she went through the same thing. But my mom ended up being deported when Mm. she was in the fourth Mm. grade. So it was just my dad. So he's a single parent. He also doesn't speak English very well. He's not really educated. Mm -hmm. And they called him and said, okay, we need to classify your daughter. She may, you know, have that. And because he wasn't really educated on it, on the process, he couldn't do that pushback. So he allowed them to put her into special education. And now that she's an adult, I mean, she's very much capable. And we think, I think back on the fact that, geez, if my mom was here to, you know, fight against or if my dad was able to, like, push back, my sister wouldn't be kind of behind. Because, you know, the plan they created for her caused her to be behind all those who are in her age group. So what kind of... You know, what do you say to parents who are, like, there's a lot of immigrants in the city of Newark. There are mm-hmm. also a lot of people who can, aren't as educated or who didn't finish high school. Not even educated as far as just, oh, being smart or not. I'm talking not being knowledgeable on the process and the public school process. That takes a requires a lot of research that a lot of people don't do or are unable to do. Unable so what do you do. say to those groups of people? So I think... You know, there there are um, there's just so many resources here. And I think that one responsibility that we have um, outside, you know, just as the board, just the school system 
is that we have to be able to get those resources to parents, right? Mm -hmm. So there, the burden lies on them as well. You have to be, there's so many resources, there's so many things, there's so many things out here. We have to make sure that we're effectively getting that information to parents. Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard, I know when you said when people are immigrants, when they don't know about um, things, but they're, it's, you know, I just think that we have, the burden lies on them to get the information to these parents. Mm -hmm. I think that's where that comes in at. Because if you don't know, so that's something that I believe they have to be held accountable for. Are you getting the information to the parents? They need right. to get this information. Right. So, But uh, there's also, like, you know, this mentality where, I mean, most parents, I can't speak to anyone because I will be very hands-on on my child right. education, but it's like a lot of people would like to have that level of trust that they want to believe everything they're, uh, you know, the the – the staff is saying at the school. So if you say, okay, my child has this personality disorder, then I want to trust you because you're the one who right. went to school for it. This is your profession. It's not my profession. Now, granted, we all know, especially those who are parents, is, okay, well, anything you do, even if, when you go in the doctor's office, yes, this doctor then went to med school and got all these PhDs, but you can't just run with anything right. that these people are telling you right. because at the end of the day, if they happen to be incorrect, it falls on you. Right. So it's, uh, I feel like there still should be some sort, well, not, I don't know. I want to know is what is the process for teachers and the, the administrative staff to, to know whether a kid should be classified or not? I mean, well, they have uh, child study teams. Mm -hmm. They have uh, the social worker. So when, when my son, I sat down with the child study team, which was the social worker. Um, and I think, I'm trying to think who else was in that meeting. The parent, I want to say just the social worker. There was like a few social workers. Mm -hmm. And then they come together. Um, so my son was going to like in-school counseling, mm -hmm. um, in-school counseling as well. And so they basically do their evaluation. but And then they come and they tell you what their findings are. Um, and then I came and I'm like, okay, these, this is this is what I, this is what I think. You know, and so we all came together and we all came to a, you know, this is what this is what it is. You know, so is yeah. it often like because you know I don't know you can tell me if this is a myth or not, but what a lot of people would think is like okay, you know, boys are gonna be boys. So that most people feel like oh, babe, maybe because when they notice that a child has like maybe one incident, that's when they want to run with it, just as a way to alleviate the teacher and like okay, I don't want to deal with this person mm -hmm. no more. Please let's classify them so I don't have to deal with this one disruptive student because. To be honest, it is difficult on teachers. It's one teacher to about yeah. 30 students. Absolutely. So if you have that one, I mean, physically, they're not capable to take time aside from all the other 29 kids to just attend to this one kid. So, of course, naturally, it's like the only other option for them is to classify them. But what if this student necessarily doesn't need to be classified? It's just, a, you know, kids being kids and, you know, he just needs a certain level of attention. So I think that goes back to my original point is that it's not always, sometimes, first of all, our kids today deal with a whole lot more than we had to deal with when we were younger, right? Yes. Um, well, some, you know, most children. And so we still have to get back to, it goes back to the family, the family dynamics, like what is going on? Because yeah, a lot of times it doesn't mean that they need to be classified. But again, we have to talk about services. What type of services can we put in place that not even necessarily inside of the school, what type of services can we give them at home? What type, like my son had in-home counseling. That was good for us because it included the whole family. Mm -hmm. And then things got better over time. But again, you have to find out 
what is going out outside of that. It could just be a simple somebody's bothering him, somebody's bullying him, whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. But again, we have to find out how we can effectively put those things in place where we can find out what is going on with these children. Their emotions. Again, it goes back to their emotions. Absolutely. Again, so we can't we can't oh it's we want to educate them, but we have to make sure that their emotions that we're taking care of their emotional well being as well. I want to know what programs would you like? What are some programs that you would like to put in place? Not even just as someone who's running for the board right. member, but remember, she has ten kids. Okay, right. I, you know, we talk a lot about people coming into our, our uh, you know, people running a lot of the things that go on within the city, whether it's the public school or like the programs, but they're not a part of it. Like right. you know, they don't have kids. A lot of my teachers. None of their kids were attending my school, okay? And I'm sure if they had the option, the school they were teaching at would not be the option. These teachers were driving in from other states. I know that there's a program, um, a lot of teaching programs have it where if you choose to teach at, like, some of the, I guess, urban schools, they tend to, like, erase your yeah. your your student loans and stuff like that. So, yeah, we get a lot of these teachers who are coming from different b- backgrounds, different counties, different states, and, like, you know, coming and not really... I don't even want to say they don't care, but they don't understand. They don't understand. So they don't right. even understand to be able to care. But for someone who has put 10 kids through public, the public school system, you are you actually went through the public school right. system. I want to know what ideas or just programs that you feel like we should have in place. So I think that we, uh, first of all, I would love to see uh, think programs come back in the school, um, wood shop, uh, sewing, uh what we used to have a uh, cooking class. Um, I think that we have to make school fun. Uh, yes, we're there to educate them, but we want them to want to come to school. We wanted to make a place where they're happy. It's like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm at school. You know, I want to be here. Um, again, it still goes back to teachers being trained. Teachers need more training. I know, you know, there's probably people, oh, we always get training, but they need to be professionally developed, especially because a lot of the teachers is, you know, when I was in school, my teachers were like old, mm-hmm. <laughs> not old, but they were older. And we have like a younger, you know, younger teachers now. So they need, it's that you, nobody expects that they're going to come out of college. You know, they're coming straight out of college sometimes and they're coming to teach our children. They still need training. We all can have training in some type, in, in areas of our lives. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to make our students better, if it's going to be better for our students, we need to do that. Yeah. And so... I definitely want, uh, you know, I was reading um, about children doing meditation in school where they have a, you know, a session where they do meditation. And then just the findings that they found that these children, you know, excelled. They did a lot better. Just taking a moment to be able to breathe. Like, let me, you know, just let me sit for a minute. Let me, you know. And there was also um, uh, something that I saw where a teacher, she had a, a sheet when they come in in the morning and they were able to check in. So if it was a green dot, that means I'm okay, I'm good. If it was a blue dot, you know, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. I need to talk to somebody. Just a way that we can uh, try to, you know, find out what's going on with them. Because, again, it goes back to that. Like I said, it could be just a simple, I didn't eat breakfast this morning. I know mm-hmm. sometimes when I don't eat, you it's know, I'm a little off. Day. Right, <laughs> it's a bad day. You know, I so it's like, you know, just finding out what's going on or, you know, you know, some kids have, you know, um, domestic violence in their house. You know, what, whatever it is, if we, we say it's about the children, so whatever, we need to make sure that we are doing everything that we can do everything that we can do to make sure that our children 
are taken care of. I'm so glad that you yes. touched on that because this is a perfect leeway for something I'm extremely passionate mm-hmm. about. I saw the article about, you know, having the kids meditate. Yes. Because I don't think that as children we understand the importance of mental health. Yes. It's not until now, you know, mental yes. health is the new wave, yes. especially for the millennials and adults. But it's unfortunate because a lot of us are finally learning to tackle some of the things that we're dealing with mentally and taking, not even what we're dealing with, but literally taking control of our mental right. health. Right. Whereas, like, if these programs or things like this, this way of thinking was implemented as a child, it will avoid a lot of crises that we're dealing with today. Right. We have the opioid crisis, and a lot of people just think, oh, these kids are just taking it because yeah. it's fun. No, no, what they don't realize is you're suffering from They're post-traumatic stress disorder. You're suffering from anxiety. They don't even know what yes. some of these things mean. But then you pop this pill, and you wonder why, oh, this feels good. Yes. I'm numb. I don't yes. I don't feel these yes. things that I was feeling. Yes. They don't even understand it. It's, yes. it's because of their mental health. So I kind of want to get your take on mental health and how it so, helps our kids. Yes. So um, something that I've struggled with and I'm very uh, open about is that I've had panic attacks and anxiety. And we definitely know that that comes from trauma um, as a child. So bear with me because I have a diagnosis. Um, and, you know, I, I went and I was like tested, you know, like what's going on? You know, why, you know, I can't, you know, do this this way or whatever. And she said, basically what we find is that children that have been traumatized at a very young age, the trauma affects the way their brain develops. So it, I literally have struggled with anxiety even before I could put a name to it, before I could put a, okay, this is what it is, just that, you know, heart pounding, whatever, for years until I finally had somebody tell me, oh, this is what it's called. And so mentally what what it what it did you know i was always living in a state of fear and panic right and so many of our children are like that too you would just hear a child simply say now you know i have they don't know what to call it it's mm-hmm. just i'm scared i'm 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 you know i'm feeling this way if somebody again could recognize that if i'm sure if i would have had treatment when i was younger for that that i probably was wouldn't still be battling with it right now to this day and so the burden is on us to make sure that we are taking care of our children mentally. Uh, that we, and like I said, even if it's not in school, there are so many programs out here. We have to learn to be partners in this, right? And go out and make sure that we're partnering with these agencies. There's so many so that we can bring those services in the school. We don't expect that teachers can do it all, that all the people in the school can do it all. But there are programs where people can come in and they can help us with this. And then there's programs that we can have for the family. We can do it inside of the home too. Could Is there any way that it could be a requirement? Because even for me, I had a teacher, shout out to Miss M. I think I was in the eighth grade. She was actually our social studies teacher. <laughs> she was our social studies teacher. But every other Friday, I think it was, or every Friday, we had something called the circle, which wow. had nothing to do with social wow. studies, okay? Wow. We put those textbooks aside. We will form a circle with the desk, and literally one by one, we will talk about whatever, okay? Wow. When I say whatever, she lets us just vent and talk about anything that we may go we may be going through. And, like, literally everyone will have to go. To the point, I know as an eighth grader, I will look forward to her classes. And not even just in eighth grade, the things that I learned 
through those little circle moments. I mean, people got personal talking about things that's going on at home with themselves. Yeah. At the end of the year, we'll do something called the hot seat. So after a whole year of doing this circle where we get to know everyone on an intimate level and what we're actually going through at home, we then go in the hot seat. And the class gets to tell you things about yourself that, you know, they like, they they think is your, I guess you're wow. great at, or even things that you may need to work on. So I feel like, Honestly, I can't remember not one thing I done learned in social studies, right. but I remember every right. single thing, and I was able to apply every single thing that I learned in those mm. hot seats and those, you know, every Friday that helped me become the adult that I am today. So, I mean, that was her, just her passion with the students and her being passionate about just the things that we were going through. But, you know, and we can't uh, require every teacher to think that way. Like we said, there's a lot of teachers that's coming from a different mm -hmm, background, mm -hmm. that's coming from experiences that these kids may that's not necessarily similar to what the kids are experiencing now. So this might not be, you know, their way of, they won't naturally think, okay, these kids need to focus on mental health or maybe we need to implement right. something. But is there anything that the Board of Education can do where they can kind of implement these in every classroom? So I'm not really sure how to implement that. Again, like I said, I think once I'm there, I will have a better feel of, okay, what I can do and what I can't do. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely think that um, we need to find, you know, to, again, it goes back to programs. I think that can be a program mm -hmm. in the school, you know, that we can have for children. Because to me, that, that was, you remember that. You remember that, right? And so kids remember stuff like that kids remember that you asked about me that you deal with the whole child not just the fact that i want to educate you but i care about your mental well-being yeah, i care about your stress right right teaches them that it connects because right. when i got to college you would think you know we get all this uh, all these stories about when you go to college mm -hmm. it's so hard the mm -hmm. work is hard and honestly every student i saw drop out of college had nothing to do with the actual work load. right it had to do with something that they were dealing with mentally, right, at right. home, emotionally. Right. So I think as a kid, because we have the set schedule, like math, you got that 9 to 10, right. and 10 you got English, then you go to lunch at 12. Like we have all these compartments where we grow up thinking that, oh, we don't realize that every area of our life is interdependent on one another. I think that adults forget that children feel too, mm. that they have stress that they have emotions, and we do a lot of telling them what to do, but we don't ask them how they feel. You know, and that's one thing that I matured as a parent. I used to do a lot of telling my kids what to do, and that was more because I, I didn't want them to have the same things that happened to me. So I did a lot of telling them what to do. But what I think that we should do is make sure that we allow them to use their voice. We make a lot of decisions about them, but we don't ever ask them well, what do you think about this? And how is it going to affect them? Mm. So I think we have to go back to having them, students have a seat at the table too. Mm. How do you feel? What do you think about, how can we help you? Because like I said, we make decisions for them, but are we asking them, what do you need? And how do you think we can help you get that? You know, so I think that we have to go back to that as well. I love, yes, love, love yes, that. I'm yes. actually excited <laughs> yes. about just, to, I, no, I was, it was brought to my attention that there's been a change with the North. Board of Education, or was it like the funding? What was the change? Okay, so the state had control, 
Okay. Right? And so now we went back to local control. Mm. So that's what the change, that's So does that just mean the money is in our hands, hands, or we get to, like, you know, we don't have to ask permission for certain things? So I think the board is able to make those decisions now. I think the board is able to make decisions instead of the state making decisions. The board is actually able to implement the policies that they need to and control the budget, you know, and what happens with the budget now. Then that wasn't, that wasn't the case before. So how many people are on the board? There are nine members on the board. So every year, three members come off. Um, come off the board and three, yeah. And so there are three seats up every every year. Okay, so, so I know the, your team. There's you and so th- my team is Adorian Murray Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, Tave Padilla. Tave is an incumbent. He's already on the board, so he's running for re-election, and myself. Yeah. I'm excited. Yes, so yes, you want to? So uh, April 16 is when. So go I'm asking everybody who lives in Newark to go out and vote April 16th, 2019. We have eight days left until the election. Please vote for Moving Nork Schools Forward team. Adoria Murray Thomas, A1. Tave Padilla, A2. Siobhan Anderson, A3. It's easy as one, two, three. Yes. That's what, yes. Look, I need yes. everyone to understand the importance of this. There's always conversation. I know we just had like three recent shootings that yes. really impacted the community. Yes. There was uh, the Jayla who got shot yes. at the uh, yes. vigil. Yes. There was another kid walking home from yes. school. Yes. Three o'clock in yes. the afternoon with a backpack yes. on his back and was yes. shot down and killed. Yes. So we talk a lot about what's being done. I know recently with the death of Nipsey, mm. um, a fat boy who's like, I don't know if you heard of him, he's a big voice in mm. the community, especially for the youth, but he's a social media celebrity mm-hmm. or influencer. And a lot of people were upset because he was hosting a visual for Nipsey. And mm. it's like, what are you doing for the people that are getting killed every day in our city? And what we need to understand that it doesn't, it's not something that we can directly do about it now. It's going and voting. It's about changing the environment. Yes. Otherwise, it's going to be another 10 shootings next week. It's the environment that we live in. It's the culture that we live in. If we don't start putting in place people who actually care about the community, in our schools, in our uh, in the city halls, then yes. this yes. is going to continue to yes. happen. You know what I'm saying? So I think I, that, I think, I'm sorry to cut you off. Mm-hmm. I think that we just have to understand when there are board meetings, when there whatever there is, people need to show and the students can up. come. As students well, need to come. They you know they want their voices heard, but you have to show up. I've been to many a board meetings, and I do not. It, the room is empty. Mm-hmm. You have to show up. We can't wait until something is bad or something bad happens until we want, and then we want to, you know, rally around then, but then we fall off again. You have to keep showing up. You have to have a seat at the table, even if it's not a parent. You know, back in the day, if it wasn't a parent, then my aunt came, Mm -hmm. or my grandmother came, or my sister came, or my uncle came. There's somebody that can show up, and we can't just say, you know, parents work there, whatever, but get somebody. We have to go back to that village mentality. We have to go back to that. We have to make our kids accountable. We have to make our parents accountable. You have to. I hold my kids accountable. Mm-hmm. When I tell them to do something, when they say they want something for their life, I hold them accountable. So we have to. There's an accountability that goes across the board. Teachers holding parents accountable. Parents holding teachers accountable. Teachers holding a principal accountable. It's all yes. across the board, and we have to learn to hold each other accountable for the things that are happening. I love it, Shayvon. Yes, thank thank you. you so much for stopping thank by. You. So don't forget April 16th, guys. Please, I think the polls open until the polls open at six a.m. and they close at eight p.m. Okay, no yes, excuses. No excuse. Don't yes. nobody work from six a.m. Yes. to eight. If you do, can I hold a dollar? Because yes. that's that's a lot of hours. You got some free time to go in there and yes. vote for Shavon. And is there your team? Do you want to plug them in? Yes, I'm gonna say them again. So Adorian Murray Thomas, a one. 
Tave Padilla, A2, and me, Siobhan Anderson, A3. Go in there and hit one, two, three. It's just that simple. One, that two, three. Simple. Yes. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so for much. Thank by. you. Thank you.